0: Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential.
1: I think it's all about relationships, the relationships with the loan officers and the insurance agents and Uh, The closers, you know, agents are independent contractors and uh, most people in the industry, if you're talking mortgage, and that's a big, big uh, chunk of revenue opportunity for most uh, brokers, a 30% capture is considered, you know, awesome, phenomenal. And so we find it's got to be a win, 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 I call it a win, 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 it's got to be good for the agents, it's got to be good for our customers, and it's good for the company. So. You can't just have um, a good price, per se, Uh, you've got to be competitive, you don't have to be the cheapest in town, but you've got to have that relationship between the loan officer and the agents, and that means becoming a part of those offices. You know, also, if you look at the consumer surveys that NAR has conducted multiple times Uh, Consumers say that they prefer full-service brokerage, meaning one-stop shopping. So um, if they want it, and here's how they describe it, is they, they say it's reliable, it's efficient, and it's convenient. So we use those words to describe what consumers want with our agents. And you have to say it and say it and say it again. And Mm -hmm. uh, so if they want it, if they like it, if they think it's reliable, efficient and convenient, why not give it to them? But you have to have those relationships in the branch offices or you just don't get that. So I get I kind of get tickled about these portals and some of these models that have, uh, you know, very few brokers in the offices talking about how they're going to make all their money in uh, core services uh, when they don't have those close relationships with the loan officers in a branch like we do.
0: Welcome to The Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Managing Editor of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate each week. Brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts share their success secrets, trends, and lessons learned navigating this ever-changing industry. For more insightful interviews with real estate executives, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Today I am interviewing Steve Brown. He's president of residential sales for Crylike Real Estate, and he's chairman of the board of the Realty Alliance. Core services are baked into the DNA of CRY-like, and they've had a lot of experience um, with them and trying to improve their capture rates. So Steve and I talked a lot about some of the things that they're doing to improve those rates, what they're finding based on the length of time that they've been doing them, and some of the new types of services that they're looking at. Um, we also talked a little bit about the Realty Alliance and some of the concepts that they're working on right now in particular their work with NAR on some of the MLS changes or their maybe they do not work directly with NAR but their recommendations to NAR with some of the MLS changes so I enjoy the podcast. This is Tracy Belt, editorial director for Real Trends. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Steve Brown, president of residential sales for Cry Like Real Estate and chairman of the board for the Realty Alliance, a network of North America's elite real estate firms. So, welcome, Steve.
1: Uh, thank you, Tracy. Thank you for having me.
0: Sure. Um, you know, I, I want to start the podcast out like I do most of my podcasts, talking about your company growth. Um, You're currently ranked number 13 by transaction size and number 25 by sales volume by the Real Trends 500. So tell me about your growth strategy and has it changed in the past year?
1: You know, Tracy, I'd say that in a word, it's all about intentionality. Um, We don't grow without a plan. I kind of uh, say to our managers that we're like a church, we're either growing or we're dying. And, uh, you know, we prefer the, the former. And um, so this year, we've had growth. And in terms of our agent count, we have grown, uh, even in this crazy pandemic, we have about uh, 96 company stores and 29 franchises, most of our growth in terms of agent count uh, has been organic. Um, We have had acquisitions, but you know, that depends on whether there's a good culture fit or not, a lot of things enter into that. And, uh, but most of our growth, as I said, has been organic. And it really hasn't changed that much in the past year or even the last two years, even though we've had growth in both of those years. Um, we made a deliberate decision to remain open uh, during the pandemic. We recommended that our agents work from home, but we never closed our offices. We kept our office administrators in the offices. Uh, the public could come in. Obviously, we used uh, social distancing and the strategies that other companies that you've heard by now. But I think that that mentality, setting the expectation that we were open for business, helped us in our growth, not just in agent count, but also in our numbers with relocation, title, mortgage, and and those things. Um, I think biggest opportunity uh, in that strategy has been for franchises. We're doing really well there, and mm-hmm. it presents big potential in the long term. Yeah,
0: definitely. Now, were any of the the areas that you're in um, were they all deemed essential so that real estate could? Be yes, we like were that.
1: fortunate. We were fortunate in that, and they were all de- deemed essential, and business grew in in virtually every market that we're in. we're in. Eight regions in the southeastern states, United States. And so it does vary market to market, but uh, overall, our numbers, we grew in, okay. in age account and volume and units as well.
0: Um, so obviously Crylike has had a, a long history with uh, core services and understanding the importance of them to profitability for brokerage firms. So... Brokers, you know, they've been across the nation struggling with capture rates. We talked a little bit about this, um, you know, in a a conversation we had earlier. So what are some of the things you're working on to improve your capture rates? And tell me, you know, what do you find title seems to be the most successful for people because obviously consumers aren't really shopping around for title. Um, Mm -hmm. But so generally, I find that to obviously be the the highest capture rate. But what are you finding in your business and and have things shifted a little bit?
1: I think it's all about relationships, relationships with the loan officers and the insurance agents and uh, the closers. You know, agents are independent contractors. And Uh, Most people in the industry, if you're talking mortgage, and that's a big, big uh, chunk of revenue opportunity for most uh, brokers, a 30 percent capture is considered, you know, awesome, phenomenal. And so we thought it's got to be a win, win, win. I call it a win, win, win. It's got to be good for the agents. It's got to be good for our customers and it's good for the company. So you can't just have um, a good price per se. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got to be competitive. You don't have to be the cheapest in town, but you've got to have that relationship between the loan officer and the agents. And that means becoming a part of those offices. You know, also, if you look at the consumer surveys that NAR has conducted multiple times, uh, consumers say that they prefer full-service brokerage, Mm -hmm. meaning one-stop shopping. So, um, if they want it, and here's how they describe it, is they, they say it's reliable, it's efficient, and it's convenient. Yeah. So we use those words to describe what consumers want with our agents, and you have to say it and say it and say it again. And mm-hmm. uh, so if they want it, if they like it, if they think it's reliable, efficient, and convenient, why not give it to them? Yeah. But you have to have those relationships in the branch offices, or you just don't get that. So I get I kind of get tickled about these portals and some of these models that have, uh, you know, very few brokers in the offices talking about how they're going to make all their money and core services uh, when they don't have those close relationships with the loan officers in a branch like we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of the mortgage companies like uh, Better and Rocket have Started their own real estate brokerages now, but they're doing salaried agents to kind of get around some of the RESPA and and that. So, makes it a little more convenient for them to have high capture rates. So,
1: yep, it's a it's it's still a challenge. I mean, um, you know, we've been at it over thirty years, and uh, it's a it's a work in progress, even even now. So uh, good luck to those folks who are trying to achieve 50, 70% capture outside of uh, title, as you said.
0: Now, do you, are, tell me more specifically what you're doing. I mean, in addition to like sales meetings, uh, you know, bringing in some of the loan officers to talk about products or trends, um, you know, are there other things that you found really successful in building those relationships
1: I don't think that there's any magic bullet that that is going to make uh, a, a huge difference in capture. I think timing has a lot to do with it. And this gets into something I was going to mention a little bit later, but uh, we can go ahead and hit it now. I think uh, artificial intelligence is driving a lot of the timing and it's improving uh, capture rates, uh, particularly in some of the services that are not necessarily related to the big four, you know, the, the title mortgage insurance and whatnot. But I think it can be used there too. And I know that there are tests going on with some major brokerages around the country right now using artificial intelligence to uh, determine the best time to approach customers in their uh, cycle of home ownership.
0: Yeah, well that's that's interesting. And um a little bit of that plays into some of the, well, as far as the new financing options that are out there. Um, you know, knock and ribbon and the they're not really new. Bridge loans are not new and iBuying isn't really new, um, but they're repackaged and marketed in a different way to consumers. Are you doing any of that um, with your mortgage company? Or are you partnering with any of these financing companies?
1: Uh, yes. Um, it, it, you know, I, I tell our managers, and I think it's true, that, that it typically takes 18 to 24 months to inculcate any new tool or uh, system into your processes and make it become part of your culture. So it's difficult, you know, both of Ribbon and Easy Knock in our case, uh, were introduced to our agents last year. And we've had really good success with Ribbon. We happen to fit into their growth plan. Uh, we are winning offers. There's no doubt. I think, and it's different from a bridge loan because bridge loans uh, don't guarantee uh, appraisals. You know, Ribbon gives us a number, and if that number is, uh, you know, acceptable to the seller, it's it's a learning curve though because a lot of our competitors still are not up to speed on that, and so we. Either have to pull in, we have to do more training on it so we can explain that process, or we have to bring in somebody from Ribbon uh, to get the other side comfortable with it. But uh, we were early adopters, and it's there's no doubt that we are winning offers that we we were losing in the past because uh, they weren't considered cash offers, and uh, we took the appraisal of contingency out of the equation. Uh, with Easy Knock, uh, we haven't really penetrated. Um, use on that much. We've had to focus on the ribbon piece. It was simpler. Mm-hmm. It was easier to implement. But I think down the line that that'll be something that we will embrace and we will we will do more intensive training on it.
0: Yeah, what I find in talking to just agents in general is they're a little confused about how to um, explain these services. To mm-hmm. consumers or to the other agent. So, what mm-hmm. are you doing, um, or or the companies Easy Knock and Ribbon doing to help with that conversation?
1: It's just constant training. It's it's talking about it in 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 an elevator speech style at first, mm-hmm. so that they get the big picture, and then filling in the holes afterwards. Uh, so we do multiple. I think we probably I, I probably attended you know, six, a half a dozen uh, training videos on Ribbon, and now uh, they're even morphing a little bit. I'm not going to get ahead of the game here on what I've been told their plan is, but um, it's just, you know, in any case, uh, the Pareto rule is alive and well. So we've got 20% of our agents that are early adopters, and they jumped right on it. They got the idea, and um, a lot of people are following, and just like I said, it takes 18 to 24 months to really get this down deeper into the culture so that it's a natural thing for them to present. We call it the crylike advantage. Mm-hmm. We don't call it ribbon per se,
0: right?
1: It's white labeled. Mm-hmm. And um, we talk in terms, you know, open door has just come into the Memphis market. And I think mm-hmm. they're going to be pretty aggressive here because it's a mm-hmm. low price buy box for them. And uh, so I expect them to be really active. They're active mm-hmm. in Nashville, Atlanta, and soon Memphis, but a lot of our Other markets, they're just not on their uh, radar yet. So we've got a little bit of advantage in some of those smaller markets: Little Rock, uh, Northwest Arkansas, Jackson, Mississippi. That you know, they just they just haven't faced those challenges.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, Now, as far as agent uh, recruiting and retention, that's always a challenge at, at a brokerage, especially as the market segments and you've got all of these different options for agents to choose from, you know, Redfin to an EXP model, you know, those different models. And now with the mortgage companies getting into real estate and the salaried, which I guess is Redfin as well. So what are, what are, how have you had to change your strategy or maybe you haven't, um, you know, what are, what are you doing to, you know, recruit these agents and and retain them?
1: Well, I always say that a manager's most important job is to retain the good agents that you have. Yeah. And then your second most important job is to get more good agents. (laughs) Right. And that process never ends. Um, uh you know we over the last eight years we've had a net increase of 500 agents that may not sound like much when you consider some of these companies that are international but a regional broker to have a net increase because you've always got people you know passing away retiring their licenses opening their own firms especially in a, a really good real estate market like we have today but uh we've had that kind of growth and i think it starts from the top of the company You know, uh, Harold cry and Dick like are both very humble men. Uh, Harold cry was in the military. Uh, he served in Korea, came back home to Arkansas actually, but he came to work in Memphis at working for container corporation of America, a box company, got a part-time real estate license, ultimately became the uh, sales manager for the largest real estate company at the time in 1977. Yeah, Dick like came from Atlanta, Georgia with the Dairy Queen organization. He was told to open up a regional office in Tennessee. He looked at Memphis and Nashville, chose Memphis, uh, but got a real estate license, worked full-time, became the top salesperson for that large company where Harold was the manager. And um, when they opened their company in 1977, Uh, They wouldn't even take agents from the brokerage that they left. These were really humble guys. I always Mm -hmm. say they were not born with silver spoons in their mouths. Mm -hmm. Um, They wanted to build a company that was exceptional. I can remember many, many times we were in a manager's meeting from 9 a.m. until noon every week trying to hammer out the best company. And, you know, fast forward years later, we ask our agents, what. Uh, why do you stay at mm-hmm. Crowdlike? And we created a word cloud from the answers that they gave us. And the most prominent words that were in that word cloud was broker support okay. and uh, the people mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, commissions was much further down the line. Yeah, I yeah. can vividly remember when Century 21 in the 70s that we were all told that they were going to wipe out all the independents and you know, and then it was REMAX and REMAX had a hundred percent commission. Oh my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to compete with that? And then it was Keller Williams, you know, and the culture that they had and the downline, the, you know, the income that they were going to all have. And, you know, today it's eXp. Well, we have grown through each iteration and each change of those competitors. They're good competitors, but our model, if we stay true to our core values, yeah. uh, is growing and is still good. So it's uh, it's intentional. I can remember somebody saying years ago that recruiting eventually solves all or most of your problems. Yeah, And that's, to some degree, that's true, not just for numbers sake. But you can't, uh, you know, you, you open an office and you can't sell mortgage, title, and insurance if you don't have the agents there to do it. So yeah. All of those things. Now we do employ two full-time recruiters and several part-time recruiters in, uh, in various regions. We use third pool as a as a lead source and a back office, and we also use collateral analytics to track and identify potential recruits. So I'm not saying that there aren't uh, systems in place and tools that we use to help drive these numbers, but it takes takes all of it to end yeah. up, uh, you know, a positive uh, agent count uh, the, the next year.
0: And actually that was going to be my next question um, because I I did know that you hire, you have a recruiting um, staff. So Mm
1: -hmm. with
0: that, um, how much is on the managers versus recruiters um, to bring in solid agents?
1: Well, we try to make sure that the managers understand that they can't be completely reliant on those recruiters and, uh, Fortunately for us, we're known as a a company that does a tremendous amount of training. Mm -hmm. We have uh, pre-licensed schools in all the major markets, and we've got education called Crylight College, where we teach agents all the meat and potatoes from A to Z, and uh, we're known for that. So we get a lot of new agents that come into the business. It's always tougher to recruit experienced agents, especially in a good market. Yeah. You know, in a down market, they look and say, you know, maybe I need a change. But in a good market, you know, you take a $10 million producer, it's very difficult to get them to change. You know, there are some companies that are that are writing checks, they're buying agents, and we just don't do that. That's not part of our equation we rely on the managers day to day to use the tools like collateral analytics to identify those people that are down. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier to recruit an agent when they're having a bad year because they do say, I just need a change. Well, we can be that change when they make that change, but you have to, you have to be intentional about it and you have to start uh, at the beginning and maintain a relationship long-term so that you are the broker when they decide that they have to have that change or they need, they think they need that change.
0: Yeah. You know, you talk about the analytics and, and the AI, how does, uh, obviously that plays a huge role in your recruiting. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you're using that.
1: Um, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that uh, Artificial intelligence is a key component in our recruiting yeah. strategy. It's a okay. little early. We're still tinkering with that. It's nascent and it's uh, in the in the uh, use and uh, everybody's experimenting with that, trying to determine where and how it can be applied. And uh, I see, I think it's very much going to be part of the future. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are companies or, or people that are creating tools right now with AI uh, that, are, that are using that. It. It's not in our, it's not in our uh, tool set right now.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the Realty Alliance, your chairman. Um, and you mentioned that um, the TRA is taking the lead on sharing the broker perspective with NAR on the changes in governance and the MLS policy. And they recently voted in some, some new policies. So tell me a little bit about um, what you're seeing and what you'd like to see going forward. Um, and, and I think there are a couple policies that... Um, they were a little bit controversial. So (laughs) that that recently, that recently happened Um, regarding the expected sales commission. I think, you know, having to report that.
1: Yeah. You know, that particular piece of it, I don't think is that uh, challenging. And a couple of the major um, portals and um, you know, entities in the market, I've already begun to show commission to the buyer's agent. I right. think we need to be more transparent about that. And I think that's a good idea. Um, first, I'd say, you know, it's, it's very difficult when you've got a board of directors, over 900 people that are involved in that process. And I think NAR is trying to streamline that so that the executive committee has more authority uh, to approve the decisions Mm -hmm. Uh, without having to have a vote on every committee decision. And that's probably a good thing if you have a diverse executive committee. Uh, part of what concerned the Realty Alliance and the Broker Resource Network and okay. leading RE is the fact that they were intended to reduce the number of large firms from 75. We were guaranteed 75 large firm seats in the board of directors down to five, and they were going to reduce the number of executive committee seats. We had two down to zero. And so there was some pushback on that. And I think the last I heard in AR, the PAG had changed their uh, proposal to have 50 uh, large firm directors on the uh, board directors and to have five members of the executive committee, the Realty Alliance and others were asking for 10 based on the volume and the number of agents that we have. Remember the Operetto rule, there's a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of production in those firms that, uh, are represented in those numbers. So uh, other things that they uh, had proposed to do away with the delegate body, uh, we were in favor of that. Um, and then I think a lot of these decisions are actually being voted on today. I know yeah. that there were decisions that came out of the MLS committee this weekend to uh, make some changes that you know, you couldn't advertise your services as free. And I don't think there's a problem with that. I mean, you know, they're not free. What I think Wall Street is pushing for is not only uh, transparency, but to lower commissions. And that has that has driven some of these consumer groups and um, uh, uh, DOJ and FTC to sue, uh, regarding commissions and, um, you know, what they deem to be a conspiracy. So we we must be more transparent in the way we do things and uh, explain to people what, what it is we do. And you know, I think we're the only group of professionals that have to go through testing and continuing education everything else that are not, unlike doctors and attorneys and CPAs, we only get paid if we are successful and people actually sit down and say, yes, I want to do this, but everybody else gets paid regardless of the outcome, but, you know, so we've got to pay attention to these lawsuits and and figure out how to, but back to NAR, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, even at the end of the day, I think they were going to have more directors yeah. uh, than they have today so that's right. kind of that's kind of uh you know a twist a twist <laughs> yes yeah, definitely
0: yeah and as far as the lawsuits i don't I, I don't know if they're paying attention to the fact that commissions have been falling for years so yeah. they they want low commissions well they're getting them they're going down so they, they,
1: yeah they absolutely have been price it's has been going lot. up and right you know that's what they say is that prices yeah. are going up so you're still making more money but you know um an agent doesn't you know the average agent makes about less than $45,000 a year. Yeah. They work weekends, they work nights. They have right. no 401k. They have no health insurance, you know. I yeah. what I used to tell tell people is you know it looks that easy. Get a, a license and a wheelbarrow and jump in here and help us haul away some of this easy cash.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh. So,, uh, let's talk a little bit about the brokerage environment. Um, what are some are there any changes that you're seeing that are changing the way you operate, um or a change that would cause you to add new services than what you already have?
1: I think these pending lawsuits from these entities uh, specifically, Agency, I think that's a big deal in in all of this. It it has forced us to look at how we interact with buyers and sellers, and how we explain what we do and mm-hmm. uh, the representation in particular. Uh, in the beginning, we had an agency policy prior to required agency disclosure, but we were non-exclusive. We didn't want to say, you know, you're going to pay us if 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 we not, or we're not you're not successful. But I think the direction that all of this is headed is that we will ultimately, we'll have a an exclusive buyer contract with our buyers, and we won't even necessarily look to sellers to pay us part of that commission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the UK and Australia are used as examples of how commissions can be structured, and the average is, you know, two, two and a half percent there, and yeah. I think that's driving a lot of this, but I don't know that the consumer is necessarily benefiting by, you know, when they're not represented in these transactions. Yeah. So, um, you know, representation is a big thing. Uh, And I think it's important for us to explain to people how we help them on the buyer side and not just on the listing side. That's natural to us. We always had that exclusive listing agreement. Right. Now we're going to have to train on that exclusive buyer uh, side of it. So that's a, that's a change. And I think, and it and it won't come easy, but I think that's where it's headed.
0: That's interesting. Um, and, and definitely, I know Florida went through a lot of different iterations of agency changes, um, you know, to now being transaction broker or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they still, I think we do have an exclusive buyer representation. Um,
1: concept. yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, you know, we modeled after Colorado and Tennessee and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Oliver Frescona was an early uh, change agent for mm-hmm. uh, creating uh, disclosed uh, dual agency. Not only that, right. but designated agency, so that yes. two agents in the same firm could represent their clients and
0: mm-hmm. and not have
1: any conflicts there. And yeah, um, I think that's coming. I think that's yeah. what's going to happen uh, at the end of the all of this, and then we'll see. Yeah, you know, if NAR can fend off all of these seven different lawsuits.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's talk about positive things. Opportunities. <laughs> yeah. So where do you see the biggest opportunities for real estate um, brokerage leaders in the coming year?
1: You know, I think you have to stay focused on the fundamentals. I don't think that there, as I said earlier, that there's there's no magic bullet. We've got to stay focused on uh uh, building stronger relationships with our agents and them with their customers. Uh, that glue, that stickiness that the agents have with their customers is something that the portals just can't get. That's that's our unique difference yeah. is, is that uh, very close relationship. And so we try to maintain that with our agents and make sure that they're maintaining that there with their customers. And that doesn't change. We'd like, we can improve on our our growth of our core services. And so I think that's where we're still learning and we can apply new tools and the artificial intelligence that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we just have to get better at what we do and, um, and be prepared to pivot when the market changes because it will. Right. And, uh, you know, if this inflation continues and rates go up and the market cools off, then how do you pivot? And we get closer to our agents at a time like that. We've actually grown in down markets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think um, I know Steve Murray, we, he and I were talking about how much. Um, a lot of the brokers increase the relationships with their agents uh, over COVID because they were doing weekly zoom meetings and right. really connecting and that they have to be careful not to stop that just because the pandemic is easing and people mm. are back in the office that it's the relationships are everything. Um, right. and And that's really important part of a successful firm. So,
1: yeah, there's a, there's a, two sides of that argument uh mm-hmm. harold christ says you can't sell title and mortgage to a one inch postage size picture yeah. on a zoom screen yeah so it's a it's a push pull i don't know you know we actually stopped doing zoom calls uh mm-hmm. at some point to get our people back into the offices yeah i think we will meet a happy medium down the road uh, mm-hmm. so that we keep those people informed that are not in the offices but um we prefer them in the office. I no, mean, unless, I I it's, agree it's, you with can you. Find a relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that's kind of what I meant. They, you know, they did the Zoom calls because they couldn't be in person. But you've got to you've got to keep that going. Maybe not Zoom, but in some other form right. that you're you're still reaching people like you did before. Absolutely. So, so my last question is just, what does the future hold for Cry like?
1: you know, being a better version of who we are, staying, staying true to our core values. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I think the the challenge is to uh, reduce our physical footprint. Uh, If you look at the expense side of our business, uh, physical space is the, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest expense items. So, Uh, I've heard brokers say that they're trying to get the ratio of space to agents down to like 50 to 75 square feet Mm -hmm. per agent, including common areas. And we're, you know, that's hard to do. You got to get out of the vertical space and get into strip center so that you can scale up or down. It doesn't happen overnight especially when you're in as many facilities as we are. So we're in that process now. And I think that that's going to be the future as agents work from home and they've got all the tools to do everything remotely. But then you have to create reasons to bring them together uh, so that they're not lone wolves. Lone wolves are recruitable. And so you have to create reasons to bring people in, have fun and, uh, you know, become more a successful. We're trying to drive our per person production up, mm-hmm. not just have a body shop. So, yep. you know, we don't, we don't want numbers for the sake of numbers. We want productive, happy people that work well together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what are some of the ways that you're, you're trying to drive that per agent productivity um, up?
1: Well, CRB teaches you long time ago to divide your office into quartiles. yeah and that top quartile is pretty much on autopilot. so yeah. you just but you can't forget them. you can't take them for granted. You have to let them know that you appreciate them. The bottom quartile, I was told, they're either on their way up or on their way out right um, And the middle is where um, you've got good company dollar. Mm -hmm. And, but they also require a lot of attention because they're learning the business. They're trying to get from 2 million to 4 million or 5 million to 10 million. And that's where, uh, that's where a good broker and that relationship between the broker and the agent is so important and why we focus on that. We try to provide our managers with, you know, the conversations, regular meetings that we have to reinforce that whole idea of trying to be valuable to all the groups. But Mm -hmm. the ones that need it the most, we think, are those people that are trying to get started. And that's where our education comes in. And and the middle folks are, uh, you know, it's a challenge to to always be there when they're needed because it's twenty four seven almost almost, it seems like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, Steve, thank you so much for talking to me today on the Real Trending Podcast. I really appreciate all of your insights and knowledge through your experience in the brokerage industry. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it. Had fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.